It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 8, 2013. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn joins me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. Looking forward to our listeners participating in the discussion tonight, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And join in the chat room with other listeners tonight to the right of your video window if you're watching us live. If you're listening to us in the podcast edition, you can send your comments in as well at any time. doesn't matter when you're listening to the program. We'd love to hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com is the way you can reach us 24-7 on the virtual Bible study. Looking forward to an interesting discussion tonight, a rather wide-ranging discussion. I hope it'll be helpful. I uh, think it will. We want to talk about our Bible class arrangements tonight. Uh, it's a topic that we covered a long time ago on the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, over four years ago, we had a program in which we asked simply, are, are Bible classes scriptural? Yes. You know, I think it's a worthwhile question to ask the things that we're doing, even though we've been doing them for a long time, have we stopped to make sure that we're not just doing them because we always did them. Are we sure that we have authority for doing the things we do the way we do? Uh, and so uh, back then we spent a whole program talking about whether or not Bible classes are scriptural. We're going to touch on that briefly tonight, but that's a worthy question to ask. That was, that was 200, about 200 episodes ago. Yeah, it was in 2009, so it was so a good long while. a long time ago. So we're going to talk about that, and uh, maybe a little bit of that discussion will overlap, but then you're going to take it into some other things. Yeah, then we want to also talk about... Uh, we'll do that briefly at the start. Then we we asked three other questions to our update list. Uh, remember, we, we always explain this each week. We hope that everybody who would like to be is on our update list. So if you're not there, you can be on our update list by getting uh, by just sending us an email, questions at collegeu.com, add me to the list. That's all you have to say. And earlier today, as we always do on Thursday, we sent out an, an email to give you um, – an indication of our topic, and to ask these questions. Number one, are Bible classes, as are typically conducted by local churches, scriptural? Yes or no, why or why not? And we already mentioned that. Then we're going to go to this. Question two, what things need to be done in order to make our classes the best they possibly can be? Number three, what are the essential characteristics of an effective Bible class teacher? And number four, what reasons would you give for why a person, young or old, should attend the scheduled Bible classes? All right. So we'll go kind of go in several different directions, all related to our Bible classes, Jacob. Join in the discussion in the chat room tonight. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you there as well on email and on the phone. Anthony's behind the controls tonight. Anthony, welcome to the program. We'll look forward to hearing from you during the program as well. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. And, uh, well, first off, you uh, ask a question. Are Bible classes scriptural? That's a question that uh, that's caused some concern in some people's minds, and that's good to have concern about what we're doing to make sure what we're doing is scriptural and is uh, according to God's authority and uh, that he is something he'll be pleased with. There are some churches that are actually identified, Jacob, as no Bible class yes, churches. Yes, uh, Because they, they can't, in their mind, get a hold of the idea that it's an authorized thing to do. Now, if they're right, we all ought to get rid of our Bible classes. Right. In other words, if it's not scriptural, we all ought to abandon them. Right. Uh, if it is if it is scriptural, then I would say those folks are free to have them or not have That's them. That's right. It's not a necessity. It's not it's not a bound thing. Right. You know? Right. So what we're saying is it a is it an authorized expedient for yes. teaching? That's the question. Yes. And uh, so we want to defend that. And uh, you may notice in our arguments that we will not make the argument that Bible classes do a lot of good. That doesn't prove anything. Yeah. Yeah, if someone says, "Well, just look how much good oh, is the being kids done. really are learning." Yeah. So what? Really? P people justify that's that is the dreaded in justifies the means right. argumentation that we have always uh, right. said is invalid. Right. The end does not justify the means. Right. 
so we're not saying, oh, it's so good, you got to do it because because a lot of good is being accomplished. That's, we're not going to make that argument. We're also not going to make the argument. Well, the kids like it. Yeah, that doesn't matter. That's right. Okay, so we're not we're going to do that. All right, but let, we are going to look at the scriptures, see what the scriptures say. Let me walk through uh, some of the same points we made nearly or a little over four years ago, Jacob. Uh, there's sort of a, a, a logical progression here that we suggested at the time. I'm just going to read what we presented back there four-plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's, here's the first step in the logical argument. The church has been assigned the task of teaching the truth. Okay. First Timothy 3.15 calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth. That's right. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, different things were given in the church for the edification of the body. Mm-hmm. So uh, the church is certainly assigned. That, and there were some teachers given, in and that teachers list. were in that That's list. Right. So if the church is author, if the church has been assigned the task of teaching the truth, then it is axiomatic, or it goes, it goes without oh. saying, or oh, goes right. without arguing. Oh, okay. That right. the church is authorized to do the work that God has assigned for it to do. In other words, if it's assigned the task, therefore it's then, then therefore it is obviously authorized to do okay. the task. Okay. And thus, things necessary to the accomplishment of the assigned task will be authorized either generally or specifically. Okay. Uh, now, if you're going to teach. Okay, so you've got some generic authority here. If you're going to teach, you've got to have, you can't, there cannot be a teaching situation without teachers, students, subject matter, time, place, and some arrangement for the teaching to take place. Yeah, Those would be obvious, necessary things. Right? That's understandable. So some of those elements are specified. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have to, in order to teach, Second Timothy two two says you have to be a faithful man. Okay. Uh, all are to be taught. Every creature under heaven is to be taught. Mark sixteen, 15, great, 16. great commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the gospel is to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Okay. Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. All right. So. In other words, that's so. Some things we don't have any choices about. Mm-hmm. In other words, if we're going to if we're going to do scriptural teaching, first of all, you need a faithful man right. teaching God's truth yes. to those who need to hear it. Okay. All right. Now, other elements are uh, uh, require that are authorized require judgments. Mm-hmm. When are you going to do this? You know, we could say, um, Jacob, we believe Jacob's a qualified teacher, mm-hmm. and he's going to be teaching the gospel, mm-hmm. and he's going to be doing it under a shade tree in the city park at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning. You there, Anthony? Uh, I don't know. That's pretty early. Okay. <laughs> We've been having a lot of rain, too, so it may be a bad place, and it's certainly a bad time. Yeah. Those wouldn't be expedient choices. We need to okay. make, we need to, we, we need to make, we, we'd have to choose a time, mm-hmm. and we'd have to choose an appropriate place. Okay. Now, I don't think anybody would argue with any of that that we just stated. Right. The question comes when it is arrangement. In other words, uh, Jacob, you're going to teach the teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to teach the old people. Okay. And Anthony is going to teach the younger children. Hold on. So we're going to split. The, we're going to split the group up into age-appropriate. Uh, okay. Uh, groupings. Yeah. That's where people begin to have a problem. They say, you know, that that, that arrangement uh, can't be justified in the Scripture. But the point that we're making is every teaching arrangement is authorized unless some passage or some precept or some principle in the Scripture can be produced which specifies one arrangement forbids all others. Mm. In other words, if you can if you can prove from the Scripture that before any teaching can be done, the whole church must be assembled together in one place... If you can if you can show that from the scriptures, then then we, we might have to argue that you can't divide the group up into age uh, appropriate groupings. Uh, but that's what I think cannot be done. In other words, you can't find a specified arrangement for the teaching to take place. Uh, in fact, lots of different methods were used in the New Testament. All right. So then, if you're gonna if if there is, are more than one uh, method, then you're showing that it's not a specific. Uh, yeah, if, if you can method. prove that there are different arrangements used, yeah. then you can't say that one arrangement is exclusively authorized. Okay, all right. Uh, there are various arrangements done, uh, used for teaching in the New Testament. There is just simple preaching of a sermon. Or did you know that the technical terminology there is a didactic discourse? No, but I'd I'd want to go see a doctor if I had one of those. Yeah, well, a, a sermon is actually a didactic 
discourse. I died well, okay. But th- that was obviously used in the scripture. Yes. Paul preached until midnight in Acts 20, verse 7. Okay, yes. So, that, so he's preaching a sermon. So preaching the sermon is okay. an arrangement. Yes. A debate yes. is, is uh, hmm. a, another arrangement. Yeah. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 9, again, we're taking from the preaching work and teaching work of the Apostle Paul. Um, in Acts 19, 9, it says that Paul departed from the group and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Mm-hmm. So a, a debate setting. Okay. There in yes. Acts 19, yes. 9. There were certainly one-on-one teaching situations. Acts 8, beginning verse 26, Philip in Ethiopian eunuch. That's right. Uh, in Acts 18, mm-hmm. beginning verse 24, Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos yes. aside and yes. taught him the okay. truth. All right. One-on-one. So, so one-on-one. Uh-huh. But we also see... Uh, a teacher with a with a group of students um, in Acts 20 verse 17, Paul met with a group out of the church at Ephesus. In other mm-hmm. words, it wasn't the whole church at Ephesus. Right. He was meeting and teaching a a a, fra- a fractional group, a subgroup of the whole church in Ephesus. The whole church wasn't there. In, in this case, it happened to be the elders of the church yes, at right. Ephesus, and, but but that, that represented a group smaller than the whole. And Paul was meeting with that group and, and discussing spiritual matters with them. All right. Acts so, 20, 17, and 18 on that. Yeah. Okay. So what we're saying is Bible class arrangements are scriptural being generally authorized by command and example. No particular arrangement is specified which forbids other arrangements, and no scriptural principle is violated in such classes. I would agree with that. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. The chat room is open and ready for your comments there tonight if you'd like to join in with other listeners. In fact, the arrangement that is listed there in Acts 20, verses 17 and 18 would appear to be something similar to what we have in our Bible classes, although we don't think there is a binding example or binding pattern, but there would be a pattern that would be pretty close to what... uh, Yeah, now to that, I have heard a couple of arguments. Okay. Uh, One is... Okay, that's a group smaller than the whole church, but there were not other groups meeting simultaneously. In other words, Paul was meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus, but there's no indication that any other group from the church at Ephesus was meeting at the same time. Well, uh, you know, in other words, they're saying simultaneous group meetings are not authorized. I, I don't know how you could come to that conclusion. Uh, if, if if the... A group smaller than the whole church can scripturally meet for study. We just we already proved that they could. By that same right, the rest of the church is authorized also authorized to do the same thing. Right. Is it simply wrong because they're meeting at the same time? If that's the case, you'd have to demonstrate that from the scripture. Sure. Uh, another argument is, and I've heard it stated this way: it's wrong for a group or groups to retire from a previously assembled meeting of the whole church. This amounts to dividing the assembly. That's that's the phrase that our no-class brethren sometimes use. We're dividing the assembly. Of course, if that's if that's true, some passage will have to be presented yeah. to demonstrate that 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 that's unscriptural. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, in Acts chapter 15, it seems that the apostle Paul and some of the other apostles in Jerusalem did the same thing. Um, in Acts chapter 15, you remember they had come together to discuss. Uh, the question of circumcision in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It says in Acts 15, verse 4, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to, for to consider this matter. So no, the whole church came together. Paul talked to them about the work being done among the Gentiles. When there was a sort of a disagreement, a smaller group divided out of that great uh, larger assembly. The group consisted of the apostles and elders, and they met among themselves to discuss uh, this situation. Okay. So right there, you, you actually almost have a, a, a specific example of a group leaving a previously assembled uh, church setting and meeting in a smaller subset setting 
seems like that's almost identical to what we're saying is done in Bible class. You know, Anthony, it sounds pretty convincing that uh, dividing the assembly, that sounds sort of sinful, you know, when you put it that way. But uh, we'd have to base that on the scriptures. I mean, you, just because you may want to give it a certain term doesn't mean that it's sinful just because it may sound bad. Yeah, I agree. I think when I, early on when I first became a Christian, I, I remember specifically, you know, being concerned about dividing the assembly, dividing the assembly. But, I mean, I... I as long as there is a time on the first day of the week where we do all come together. I think that's a good point. <laughs> then if we want to additionally come together as separate groups, then I, where's the you know uh, violation of a scriptural passage? And, and also, you know, like Greg said, if one group can meet and have a, a, a Bible class with a subgroup, then, of course, any you could have multiple subgroups. There's That's no right. scripture that would say you can't do it at the same time. I really like what you said there, Anthony, that it is it is necessary for the whole church to come together on the Lord's Day to observe the Lord's Supper. Right, right. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place. Now, Paul is condemning the Corinthians. He says, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone take it before other his own supper, and one's hungry, another drunken. But what's implied there is it should have been they should have been coming together, together to do that. To, right. to take the Lord's Supper. So right. on the Lord's Day, the whole church should come together uh, for the purpose of taking the Lord's Supper. All right. Well, let's take a break, and when we get back, we'll take our listeners' thoughts and questions. Tim, Timothy in the chat room has a question for us, and we'll look forward to your questions as well, your comments at questions at collegeu.com. When we get back, we'll get into the discussion of what are some things that need to be done to make our classes the best that they can possibly be? We'll talk about that. That should be good. We should get some good uh, feedback from our listeners there. We'll look forward to that. We'll look forward to your comments. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of the Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Time is the coin of life. Only you can determine how it will be spent. Although fate presents circumstances, how you react depends on your character. A man is what he thinks about all day long. Knowing is not enough. We must apply. Willing is not enough. We must do. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. We want to hear your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. You asked the question of our listeners earlier today, our Bible classes scriptural as typically conducted by local churches and Ramona in Texas says it is all right to have Bible classes which may be stated as simultaneous teaching one example may be stated in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus took three of his disciples from the others and taught them while on a high mountain verse 2 when he came back to his disciples he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning them Jesus then teaches the multitude so uh, Ramona says she thinks it's okay. And she gives a scripture there to suggest that maybe, again, a, a, a separating of, of a smaller group from a, from the larger group to do specific teaching. Uh, so maybe another one to add to the, to the scripture. She argument. goes on in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
some arrangement is essential in teaching. Any arrangement that does not violate the New Testament scripture is authorized by the teaching of all nations. I think that's that's the point we that's were trying the idea to make. Of general authority. That's right. Uh, uh, you're exactly right, Ramona. That was the point we were making as well. So good point. And Chris in the UK says, not knowing what you're calling Bible classes, he obviously from a different culture, so maybe some different terminology here. But if it is a session where the Bible is taught, then there is scriptural support. It is part of, and I hadn't heard this acronym before, it's part of the wife every Christian needs from the church. Wife stands for? A time of worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism, or evangelistic. Opportunities all found in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. There should be a time for scriptural instruction appropriate to the level of the people involved. For example, you would not teach a child like you would teach an adult, not a sermon, though they are needed, but a time like this is where people meet with an open Bible have it explained and explored as to the meaning uh, to build up the people of of God in the truth. Thank you, Chris, for that. It's interesting that Chris doesn't wasn't familiar with with our expression Bible classes. So he's in England. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that illustrates the point. We can get so used to doing something in a certain way that we assume everybody knows that. Everybody yeah, does it that true. way. You know, so and in, Bible classes are a customary thing. And, yeah, uh, but in England, obviously, he's not familiar with right. with that sort right. of arrangement. And you'd have to say you couldn't find nowhere the exact situation that we're doing. We're saying that that our situation is authorized by by means of yes. authorized expedient judgments. Yes, you, you couldn't find the exact same arrangement in the New Testament where. For instance, the small children were taken one place and the adults were taken another place to teach. Right. We think it's authorized as we just went through that argument. Yeah. But we get so used to that arrangement, we think it's always been that way and it's always done that way and every, everybody does it the way we do it and that's not always the that's case. That's true. That's true. We don't need to be held bound up by our traditional way of doing things and uh, binding that on other people. Timothy uh, asked the question, what do you think about First Timothy 2, 7 and 8? And specifically, does verses 7 and 8 in First Timothy 2 does it help with the idea of having Bible studies when we come together in every place? He, uh, here's the passage. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling you the truth. I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now, I, I, I'm wondering if Timothy is saying in every place means these guys are over there. Another group's over there, you know, that, that the group is divided in different places. Yes. And I really don't think that's what that verse is talking about. In other words, I think every place where Christians assemble or every place where Christians are, Paul says, I would have uh, the men or I want the men in every place to pray. In other words, if you're in Tennessee or if you're in Texas or if you're in England Cat, or Sing, Singapore, uh, I want men in every place. I think that's more talking about different geographical locations. Okay, all right, all right. Um, uh, but it would allude to the fact that Christians don't all have to be in the same geographical area and uh, together at the same time. Yeah. Um, different congregations is what Timothy says. Yeah, he I, I think that's right, too. Okay, all right, great. Thank you, Timothy, for that uh, that point tonight. Okay, and again, we want to emphasize well, there's, a, there's a program in our archives. I think it's maybe June 9th of 2009. Got to dig deep. It's in June of 2009. Dust that one off. We had a whole program on the question of it, our Bible classes scriptural. If you want to look at that in a little more detail, you can listen to that archive uh, program from four years ago plus. Um, we're going to move on, though. We're going to we're going we're to on. we're going to say that that point is established. That horse is dead. Well, not dead, but but we've we I, I think we've proved the point. We've we've established the case. At least that's the justification that we think works. And really, we 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 feel duty bound, Jacob, to be able to go to the Bible and say, yes, we're doing that, and here's the justification for doing that. In other words, if someone could say, you got no justification at all for doing that, then we we would feel duty bound to give it up. Yes. But if we can go to the scriptures and say, this seems to be a very reasonable, logical presentation of the authority for that work, then I th we think we can move forward. Okay. Let's see uh -huh. your thoughts. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Now, the next question, let's stump Anthony with this. Anthony, give us one thing. The question what? was posed, what things need to be done to make our classes the best they can possibly be? Uh oh, I mean, hmm. Lots of things come to oh, mind. Oh, we stumped him. <laughs> Preparation, I mean, Anthony. That's, say, the question. that's the answer. That's the answer. <laughs> I was going to say, having prepared teachers and prepared students, I think, 
you know, is essential. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's. I I hope that that probably would be the first thing that comes to most people's mind is that yeah. there needs to be preparation. Our classes are not going to be very successful if they're just sort of off the cuff. You know, well we're here. What we're we going to do now? Yeah. I got to tell you, I've been in some places where the Bible classes were operated at about that level. Yeah. You know. So what's next? Oh, here we are. Now what? Uh, yeah. uh, and you're not going to get a lot done that way. But the preparation is at several, on several levels, I think. For instance, I think that the, Bible, the, the, that the leadership of the church, uh, assuming that the, of the local congregation has elders, certainly the elders need to provide uh, oversight for the work okay. uh, and, and the necessary support to get the job done. Some of that support would just be in terms of their involvement, but also monetary support. There'll be things that need to be done to make the classes function effectively. Mm -hmm. And so the leadership of the church needs to be involved. They need to be at work in the preparation process. Because we're we're saying effective Bible classes involve uh, necessary uh, preparation. So I would say that the elders need to be involved uh, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, yes. where it's talking about the qualifications of elders. The qualifications of elders are that they may, must be one that ruleth well his own house. And then it goes on to say, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The elders are in charge of taking care of the, of the, of the church of God or the house of God. The family of God, yeah. the children of God, overseeing it. So, so that that to take care of means that they have to be involved. They have to know what's going on, and and the classes are one way that they can do that. But they've got to be involved in it. They can't they can't be hands off kind of elders when it comes to the Bible class arrangement. Well, it's part of their obligation, as Paul uh, enumerated it in Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight. They take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. Elders need to be feeding the flock, and this is one way that they can get some food uh, to the sheep. You know, I think that's exactly right. You, you just read Acts 20, right? Yes, I did. And, and that same expression is used in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, where they're to feed the flock of God. So uh, Bible classes are a good way for them to see to it that, as you said, some food is being yes. distributed to the flock. Yes. And and that's not the only way. i, I got to say, if that's the only feeding we get is during the Bible class hour, we're going to starve to death. Yes, that's true. But that's one of the ways that the elders can see to it that some food is being given to the flock. Okay. Now, in regards to Anthony's right answer, yes, way to that go, preparation Anthony. is necessary, then we've got to have teachers who are dedicated, conscientious, well-prepared to do their work. Teaching really is a big responsibility. I, I, I hope that everybody who takes on the assignment to teach a class understands that when they do that, they are opening themselves up to additional uh, accountability in judgment. Yeah, yeah. In James chapter 3, verse 1, the New American Standard Version says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. And so there's, uh, there's this increased accountability that comes with being a teacher. Therefore, you better be prepared. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's more than uh, fun and crafts and fill in the blanks. Yeah. You know, uh, there, there needs to be some... Uh, Understanding of the importance of the work, there needs to be some urgency about the attitude. There needs to be some enthusiasm uh, to get it done. So uh, you, you need to be a good, conscientious, prepared teacher yes. if you're going to have good Bible classes. All right. Um, and then, of course, uh, we need, as Anthony, you said, we need students who are prepared and and. Uh, if 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 the students are young people, then uh, the the parents are involved in seeing to it that their kids are prepared. Uh, you know, it, it seems that parents are pretty concerned about their children's secular schoolwork. Correct. But unfortunately, I, and I, I think you guys have been involved in teaching classes as I have too, and and you don't see the parents. Uh, Apparently, very concerned about their students preparing for their Bible classes. No. Uh, uh, one of the complaints that I have heard over and over and over again through the years is teachers complaining 
that their students come to class unprepared. They yes. have not studied their lessons. They yes. don't know the subject matter. And that really hinders the class. When the yes. students are unprepared, then the teacher's got to really slow down, back up, yes. do a lot of basic stuff that should have already been done before the class started. Yes. Uh, sometimes that's uh, just forgetfulness on, on part of the parents and the students. Uh, um, I, I don't think it's necessarily intentional, but you got to make it a priority. It's Do something right. to remind you to help the kids get their lessons prepared. Uh, it is your job as parents to teach your kids. Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes. That's your job. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou settest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So you got to take those opportunities to teach, and Bible classes are one of the ways you can do that. You know, one more thing that I would add in there is you know, to make our classes uh, good and effective, they need to be appreciated. Uh, if they're not viewed as something important or valuable, uh, not much good is going to come. Uh, we need we need everybody in the local church to value the teaching arrangement, uh, uh, apathy and indifference on the part of the church members, uh, lack of attention to the Bible classes. That's that's only going to produce mediocre results at best. We need to do better than Anthony, that. Anthony, on uh, physical terms, uh, you do the same with your kids in their secular education. You would uh, show excitement and uh, and place importance on that you wouldn't say kids you got to go to school but it's a total waste of your time i don't know why we're doing this but you got to go anyways no you show some enthusiasm about that so that it, that would transfer to your children and they would see the importance of their secular education the same should be true of our bible class right i think if we if we show that pre- preparing for bible class is somehow less important than than preparing you know doing your homework for school I mean, that's a very dangerous lesson that we're teaching, um, you know, to our children that spiritual things are less important. And uh, I think it's easy for parents to, you know, to let that slide or to forget about it. Um, You know, it happens to the best of us, but it's something we need to be, you know, double down on and make sure that that that's a priority. All right. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. There's a question in the chat room about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse uh, 15. About women, women being saved in childbearing, and here's a, here's a tease for our listeners. If you're not on the update list, that was sent out in the bulletin, I believe, this week. Yeah. Uh, that difficult passage, and so uh, an explanation. Yeah, but Tim didn't think it was thoroughly covered. He said in that brief article. So I've just I've just given him a a, a, a little note in the chat room that we'll. We'll put that in our stack of stuff. We'll discuss that on the future program. We can discuss it in just a few seconds after the program. Why don't we do that? After the program, we can open the mics back up. If Timothy stay on, we'll, we'll, we can give him our explanation. And then we can include it in a per- future program for everybody who's listening in the archive. Okay. All right. We'll take a break, get this week's bullet point. Uh, yeah, stay tuned, Tim. At the end of the program, we'll talk about that. Uh, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Glenn with this week's bullet point. Can you imagine buying a used car sight unseen? No way. Before you invest your hard-earned money, you want to check it out. You'll want to take a test drive, look under the hood, scrutinize the maintenance records, and talk to the former owner. No one is going to trick you. No, sir. You simply wouldn't buy a car without kicking the tires first. Now, let us ask you about something much more important than cars. Let us inquire about your religion. How did you reach the decision about where you worship? What standard did you use to decide which religious organization you would be a part of? If we could get everyone to be honest about it, we'd find that many have made this important choice without nearly as much investigation as they would put into buying a used car. And that's really a shame. With your eternal soul at stake, you desperately need to make sure that the religious group you're a part of is faithfully and accurately following God's word. Do they use the Bible as their sole authority? Will all their practices stand up to a thorough investigation? Does everything still look good, even after you've kicked the tires? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, where we do have Bible classes for all ages, and those Bible classes occur on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We welcome you, if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, to come and visit with us at any of our assemblies. 
Find out more about our meeting times and location by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can also find information about our program, find archives from the last eight-plus years of the Virtual Bible Study, and find information on how you can podcast sermons that have been recently presented to the College View Church of Christ. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about Bible classes on the program tonight. We got Just to sort of... Uh, uh, reconfirm the points we were just making. Jack in the chat room says, generally speaking, the children will only be as prepared as their parents are involved. So if the parents uh, are not following up or checking on their children's preparation for classes, more than likely their children will not be prepared. Okay. Uh, so uh, I think Jack is right, and I would agree. All right. And uh, so we talked about some things that are important to make our Bible classes the best they can possibly be. And uh, to that question, Ramona su- supplied her suggestions. Try to challenge the class. I think that's a good uh, a good suggestion. The class needs to be challenging. Yeah, and that would be the opposite of a complaint. A perennial, you know, I just talked about a perennial complaint of teachers. A perennial complaint of students is, this class is boring. Yeah. Well, because the teacher hasn't tried to challenge the class. Okay, try to challenge. Strive for balance, sound material on a variety of subjects. Yeah, you don't want to harp on the same thing constantly and not leave. I mean, the, the, there's a, a wide variety of subjects that need to be covered, so you've got to balance that. Friendliness. I guess you, you don't want to be at each other's throat in a Bible class. Maintain order. That's a good one. Uh, sometimes challenging. Give opportunity for someone to express their views. And uh, so those are good questions or good comments. Don't embarrass anyone. That's right. Uh, you, don't want to, you don't want to belittle anyone for a question or comment they might make. And always teach the truth. Thank you, Ramona, for those. Chris in England says, maybe have them in separate places so the women can learn together, the men can learn together. Sometimes it is good to separate the sexes, yes. not just the age groups, but male from female. Focus on subject matter that would be gender-specific. Right. Yes. He says, have people know what they're studying before they arrive, possibly having a set text or a subject advertised beforehand. So I think you can prepare. Very important. I yes. Uh-huh. He says, it should be obvious, but have them bring their Bibles. The clue is the title. The phrase, if you have your Bible with you, should really be banned from church services. We often do that. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to, and you give a, that should be banned. He says everybody should have their Bibles yep. in church. I agree. Yep. Uh, would you turn up at a squash game without a racket? I don't know. I, if I, I have, up, if he, I turned up to a squash game, I don't know what I would I have do. played squash. You I like have. it. I, I like it. I've eaten it. I don't care for it. I like squash. Okay. Uh, we play racquetball here more, Chris, but squash is a lot of fun. I have played before. Uh, would you know uh, to take a racket to a squash game? Uh, I would have to think about it for a little yeah, I would. bit. Uh, Okay. Uh, um, uh, our friend Randy up in Jackson, Missouri, sent in a, along the lines of, of what makes classes good. He says another question could be, should Bible classes be discussion groups moderated by a teacher or lecture classes taught by a teacher? He said, I once heard John MacArthur say, he says this is a paraphrase, Discussion classes are classes where you go around the room and everyone shares their ignorance. I've been in a class like that. Yeah, I have too. I think that's a good point. You know, we we like class participation, but we need a teacher. You know, and, and I don't think people nest, I don't think people like lecture type classes real well. But and and so that's understood. Get get people involved in 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 the discussion. But the teacher should be prepared to present the material in an orderly fashion and the people can comment as we go, uh, the, the students can comment as the class progresses but it is the teacher's duty to convey information in a logical and progressive manner and uh, you know instead of just a free for all of discussion what do you think anthony yeah i mean it, it, you would never get anywhere if if you came to class and it was just a wide open forum and anything you know anything goes and it's just what people say you've got to have You've got to have a, an objective, and you know, to the class. I mean, that's you know, when you're a teacher, you should start each lesson has an objective and something you're trying to accomplish. So if you just have a free for all, that's not going to happen. How about this? We need a teacher, not a referee. Yeah, that's, I think that's right. good. That's good. a good way right. to put it. Okay. All, all right. right. All right. Next uh, question. We got to move on. We're going to run out of time here. Our third question is: What are the essential characteristics of an effective Bible class teacher? Mm-hmm. I had several listed, Jacob. Um, I would put them in sort of this order, and and with for sake of time, we may not be able to give all the scripture references. But first of all, if a teacher is going to be effective, they've got to be a good Christian themselves. Yes, right. Uh, the, the the principle of practice what you preach mm-hmm. is so essential. I I don't think 
that that point can be overemphasized. If you're not if you're not living faithfully yourself, don't take it upon yourself to try and teach others. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Romans chapter two verse twenty one, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Mm-hmm. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. You know, that is the truth. Somebody takes upon the role of a teacher, and then it's it's known, widely known that they're not living uh, properly themselves. That That's very hurtful to Hypocrisy, the cause. Hypocrisy, that's right. Uh, so sort of, I, I think a, a, a first and, and maybe most important, be a good Christian, you got to be sound in doctrine. Yes. Uh, you you got to know what you're talking about so that you can teach it to others. First Timothy four verse sixteen, Paul told Timothy, "Take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine, for uh, uh, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee." But he Timothy had to take care to to make sure that he himself was sound in the doctrine and then teach it to others. You got to be sound in doctrine. Okay. We don't want a teacher. Who really doesn't know what he's talking about? Yes. Or who 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 we know, and I've I've known churches where this takes place. Jacob, this guy, we know that he's off on this particular Bible subject. He, he takes some weird, unbiblical script uh, doctrinal stance. I got to tell you, we need teachers. We're hurting for teachers, so we're going to let him teach our high school class. Although we know he's off on this doctrinal point, we just need teachers so bad we're going to let him teach. Yep. That is a huge mistake, but that happens a lot. He, so a teacher's got to be sound in doctrine. Okay, all right, um, and uh, that's that's a good, excellent point. And you got to be you got to be studious. Uh, Paul told Timothy, "Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortations, to exhortation, to doctrine." Uh, we could also add First Peter three fifteen: Be ready to give an answer. You got to be studious. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to you got to be prepared. We've already spent quite a bit of time talking about how important it is for teachers. To be prepared, uh, that means you've got to invest the time. Um, someone said that you've got to study more than just what is in the workbook. Let's, let's say that you're teaching a class and a workbook has been assigned as the topic for discussion for this quarter in this class. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the teacher, and so I get the book out 15 minutes before I come to services. Right. And I run through there, and it's uh, it's got some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm able to get the blanks filled in, and then I go in to teach. I haven't really prepared. I certainly haven't studied the subject in depth. All I've done is basically what I hope the students are doing. Yes. Or, you know, in fact, I actually hope the students would do more than that. Right. I'm not really prepared. That's right. You've got to be prepared. Uh, you've got to be dependable. Uh, you've you got to be there. Yes. And you've got to do that preparation every time. Well, one of the problems that often happens is the teacher is tardy to the class. Okay. And that really throws the, a, a wrench into the whole progression. Right. So you got you can't be tardy. Okay. Uh, you you certainly praying for uh, uh, God's blessing in the work is appropriate. It would be included in passages like First Thessalonians five seventeen. Pray without ceasing. So someone said about a teacher that didn't pray before he engaged in his work. The, the observation was, he must think he can do God's work without God's help. Oh, wow. That's no, good. And, that's, and of course, uh, another characteristic has to be love for souls. Right. Paul had that. The, the example of the Apostle Paul in regards to the feeling he had for the people that he was trying to teach Acts 20, verse 31, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Mm-hmm. Paul was so concerned about those he was teaching, he he'd shed tears over their well-being. We need to have that love for souls. Uh, we need to be cooperative. We need to be able to work with others in this important endeavor. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Philippians 1, 27 says, let your conversation or manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So a cooperative spirit of teamwork. Uh-huh. And then, of course, you yourself as a teacher need to be always growing. Yes. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Second Peter 3, verse 18. 
uh, all of those things would be necessary to have an effective Bible class teacher. All right. What do you think? We'll get your thoughts on the other side of the break. What essential characteristics are needed for a Bible class teacher to be effective? There's some comments in the chat room. We'll work into the discussion, and we'll get yours as well. 877-381-4567. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks it. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new report finds Americans overwhelmingly, 77% in fact, believe morals are declining in the U.S., with the most cited cause for the decline, a lack of Bible reading. The American Bible Society's annual State of the Bible survey, which details Americans' beliefs about the Bible and its role in society, found that the Bible remains a highly valued, influential force in America, but also discovered a significant disconnect in that belief versus actual behavior. While 66% of those surveyed agreed that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life, 58% said they do not personally want wisdom and advice from the Bible, and about the same amount, 57%, said they read it fewer than five times per year. More than half, 57% of Americans ages 18 through 28, report reading the Bible less than three times a year or never. That's via the Religious News Service. The Word of God says in James 1, verse 22, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program talking about Bible classes and how they can be effective. We started the discussion tonight, if you're joining us late on uh, our Bible class is scriptural. We made the argument to show that we believe Bible classes are scriptural, and now we're looking at how we can make those Bible classes effective. All our right. listeners have supplied lots of uh, good comments in the chat room tonight. Jack says children must be challenged and encouraged to do more. Children can do more and will rise to our level of expectation. Well, that's true. Timothy asks the question, how do you balance lecture and free-for-all? Uh, Tim responds, for teens, I think assigning each teen a different topic to research and present to the whole class the following week is a good way to go. Teens like to prepare something to share, and slackers don't want to stand up in front of their friends and say they are not prepared with anything. Also, adding discussion about each presentation where everyone can talk about what was just presented makes classes very interactive. I, li I like that, Tim. With one caveat, I mean, there's, the teacher still needs to be in charge. The teacher still needs to be presenting the basic material that needs to be presented. In other words, let's say we're talking about something like uh, modest apparel. Yeah. I'm just not going to throw that out to a bunch of teenagers and say, okay, Joe, you teach us next week on modest apparel. I think the way to do that would be to present the basic information and then tell Joe, next week I want you to come up with a with – a, a, a presentation relative to what we've discussed on this topic. In other words, my only caveat, caveat to what Tim said is that I, I don't think we're just going to turn all of the teaching role over to right, them. Right. In other words, we're going to teach something, and then we're going to have them use what they've been taught right. and present it back. I don't think Tim necessarily. No, I don't think so yeah, either. But that's right. A, right, right. That is, a good, that is a good distinction to make. Jack, first and foremost, effective teachers understand consciously or intuitively what teaching is and isn't. Unfortunately, many teachers still think of teaching as dumping content. They assume that when they have unloaded the daily information from the curriculum, they have taught. Jack goes on, come into the class and have a big smile and show your kids you are glad and excited about being in class. Explain why it is so important to be in, in class and how learning God's will or word will help them, um, help make them a better person. Uh, Jack says teachers need more than knowledge and skills to teach effectively. They have to want to teach. Um, Tim, Timothy asked, how do we get an introvert to get involved in class? That, that's a particular challenge, and probably uh, we shouldn't have unreasonable expectations about getting an introvert involved. Do and the best we can, but every understand everybody's different. Everybody's different. That's right. That's right. So they can still be learning. Even, in, a, even in, in an adult class, typically we get several 
different ones who comment, but there's some people who never do, and that's right. understood. But they're following along and learning. Yeah. Uh, Tim says public speech speaking is a skill needed in life. The more a person does it, the more comfortable it will become. Uh, don't uh, have to be great at it, but uh, we all need to work on it. Uh, Jack uh, in the chat room says, Paul wrote to be carnally minded as death, but to be spiritually minded as life and peace. Romans 6, 8, verse 6. As a teacher of God's word, one will have to be entirely in harmony with the teaching of God's word. A teacher can only really teach what he is. A proverb writer teaches us that the character of a man is based upon what he thinks about. Proverbs 23, verse 7. A teacher must live what he teaches or no one will listen long enough to learn. It is tragic to think that we would allow even for a moment a spiritually shallow teacher to indoctrinate our children. Um, I think a small Bible class, Tim says, with teens is a perfect, perfect safe place to work on not only the Bible, but life skills. And Jack says, it is impossible for a Bible class teacher to present the saving gospel of Christ and be devoid of joy. Over and over again, the Bible t tells us to rejoice. Romans 12, 12, Philippians 4, 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, 1 Peter 4, 13. The teacher of God's book must live the, the joy of Christianity so others will see it. Thank you for your comments, everyone Hi. in the chat room. Ramon in Texas says that, it, uh, again, Essential characteristics of an effective Bible class teacher are, one, good Christian character, two, a thorough knowledge of the Bible. That doesn't mean you know uh, the Bible from cover to cover, but you should know as much as you uh, have been able to learn by careful study of the Bible. Don't hide your ignorance. Uh, three, a desire to serve. Four, enthusiasm. Five, respect the convictions of others. All right. And uh, Chris in the U.K., obviously again, but obvious again, he says, but the ability to teach should be a given. Someone who knows how to lead the discussion but not ruin the discussion. Also, someone who is organized and punctual would be good and someone who can be relied upon. Thanks. He makes some of the points that you made earlier. All right. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Finally, we got to move quickly. we got a fourth question we want to throw into the mix here. We've talked about this, that Bible classes are scriptural. We've talked about how to make our Bible classes better. We talked about the, the important role of teachers and what, what characteristics they must possess. Our fourth and final question, Jacob, was what reasons would you give for why a person, young or old, should attend the scheduled Bible classes? Yes. What do you think about that? Why, why should I come? In other words, the church has, yeah. has got Bible classes scheduled. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm I'm just not, not, into, I'm not into that. I don't, I don't care for that. I'm not yeah. coming. Yeah, I'm just going to come for the worship. Yeah. But unfortunately, in a lot of places, uh, almost a majority are of that opinion. Yeah. Now, I'm thankful it's not that case here at College U, uh, but I've, I've been places where the Bible class attendance was really pathetic. Yeah. So it, let's say that you're talking to some Christian who is not inclined to attend the Bible classes. Okay. What arguments would you give that, that says you should? Well, well where's that I, verse? Where's that verse that says... Thou shalt attend all the Bible. What is that? Thou shalt attend all the Bible class. Where was that? Well, it's not explicitly stated, That's but I think it is. Uh, it is implied, and I think we could we could say that uh, not attending would be a violation yeah. of many. But, many but I was being I was being facetious there. Yeah. There obviously is not one yeah. verse that that even says Bible classes. But right. and there's no verse that says thou shalt attend Sunday morning and Wednesday night Bible classes. Yes. But there are, as you said, there are principles or concepts that right. make it so. Okay. Let what us, are they? Let us know your thoughts in the chat room if you'd like. What about Bible, class teach, Bible classes? Should we attend? Let us know. Well, first of all, I would argue you should attend because you are obligated to grow. You're supposed to be growing as a Christian. Yes. Second yes. Peter 3, 18, which we already referenced. Okay. Uh, you're also supposed to be ready to explain to others the basis of your hope. First Peter 3, 15, mm -hmm. which I think Wade just had in one of our commercial spots just a moment ago. Yes, he did. You're, you're, so you... You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to be ready to explain what you believe and why. You're supposed to be able to teach others. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Hebrew writer condemns some Christians in Hebrews 5, verse 12. He says, for the time when you ought to be teachers, you have need to one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and it becomes such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Notice, there was a time when they ought to have been teachers. In other words, there's an expectation that every Christian will reach a point where he's able to teach other people. Yes. And if you're not at that point, then you you, you definitely need to be in the, in the Bible class. Okay. Uh, you need to be there. You need to be present for the purposes of encouraging your brethren. Yes. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. 
Yes. Hebrews 10:24, consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Yes. And so uh, there, there's four reasons on my list. You need to be growing. You need to be ready to explain your hope. You need to teach, be able to teach others. You need to encourage your brethren. If all, those all four are good things, and if if I know that all of that's true, and I still say I don't want to be there, and I tell you something, I got an attitude. Yeah, that. I think the last one, if there were nothing, if there were no other reasons given, I think the last one would be good enough to encourage our brethren. Because if I'm not there, think about what it tells my brethren. It tells my brethren that it's not important to study the Bible. That or it tells them I'm not in, I'm not in, excited about it or I already think I know enough of it. Or number three, I don't care to help other people uh, or encourage other people in the study of the Bible. Not being present at the Bible study does exactly the opposite of what we should in encouraging our brethren. Yeah, uh, Timothy in the chat room mentions that same passage from Hebrews 10, 23 through 24, that we're to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works not forsaking our assembling together as the habit of some is, but exhorting one, encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day drawing near, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I think that verse nails it right there. Okay, great. And uh, Timothy says we should study the Scriptures daily to show ourselves some proof. All right. Uh, we got an email from Ramona. What did she say on that one? She, Ramona, she had a rather long yes, list. Yes, she did, and we appreciate that. Uh, it sharpens your thinking. It gets you ready to uh, gets you to read in your Bible and study. It will help me be a better Christian. And no, notice, your coming to Bible class will help me be a better Christian. Ah, I get it. Okay. It, it can help me in finding out the answers to the questions of life. Right, even if you think you don't need it. Well, come. Maybe you think you know everything about that, so come and share. Hey, that if with you others. do, if you already know it all, please come and raise your hand. Yeah, and raise your hand, or or take on a teaching assignment. There you go. Uh, it will please God. Certainly, it will. You will gain Christian friends, right? It'll help us to be closer if we study together. Uh, number seven, she says, the devil will try to devour us through false teaching. Bible classes will help us resist him. Uh, number eight, Matthew chapter five verse six: hunger and thirst after righteousness. Bible classes will help us seek this. Hey, wait a minute. I'm supposed to hunger and thirst right, after righteousness, right. but I don't want to come to Bible class. Right. Now, those are contradictory statements, right, aren't they? Right. If I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and I've got a chance to engage in Bible study right. with other right. conscientious Christians, yeah. and I don't want to be there, then I can't say I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. No, no. Uh, God wants us to grow in the grace and, and grace and knowledge. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, this will help us to, assemble, uh, to attend Bible classes. Number 10, we could be zealous of good works. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, we can participate in classes. That's a good work, and so that's an opportunity to, to fulfill that uh, instruction in second, or Titus 2, verse 14. Number 11, it is a place of strength. And then uh, she quotes that same yes, passage, Hebrews right. 10, 24, and 25. Okay. Also, it establishes a total involvement in local church. It embodies the, pr- the practice of the Great Commission. It encourages small group fellowship and activity. It embraces what Christ began with his disciples in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, and daily in the temple and every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Number five, it equips the believer for ministry and discipleship. She references 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that they would commit these things to faithful men who would teach others. Number six, it enhances our ability to honor the Lord's day. And number seven, it expresses our love for Christ and his church. Thank Man, you, Ramona. Ramona covered all the bases yes, on that email. Good, that's, good. that's a whole program And there. Chris in UK says, Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. If you really want to know the word and the Lord that every scripture points to, it helps to learn from those who have been on the path for a while. For older people, uh, you can help others learn from you. And to use another acronym, Christians should be fat. That's faithful, available, and teachable. Mm-hmm. We can learn even from the youngest babe in Christ. So okay. uh, thank you, Chris, for participating tonight. All right. Uh, well, chat room's busy. The uh, chat room is busy. Uh, I think we've got most of those uh, things. Let's covered. see. Anthony, uh, you're in the chat room there tonight. Uh, your thoughts about what you're seeing? Yeah, I think we're all kind of agreeing that um, Bible class attendance is really important. And a lot of folks were pointing out sort of the encouragement factor, as I stated, you know, um, I think that's a big portion of why we should come to Bible class. In the chat room, Anthony, you said a congregation with 50% Bible class attendance is not a fun place to be. I think you're exactly right. You know, I don't want to be a member of a church like that. I think you're right. Right. Okay. And you went on to say it sucks the life out of everyone else. I think I think you're exactly right. Okay. Jack concludes you will sharpen your sword when it's challenged by iron. If you don't challenge your beliefs, you will only be weaker. Thank you, Jack. All right. Good good discussion tonight. I think an important discussion. Better discussion than you had planned on. Yeah, we hadn't we hadn't dealt with much of that. We as we said, we had a program, and you can go back and re, uh, listen to it in June of 2009 on whether or not Bible classes are scriptural. 
And so we just touched briefly on that. You can go back and listen to that whole program. But we've spent more time talking about how to make our Bible classes better. And I think we've had a worthy discussion, Jacob. All right. We've had a good discussion. We'll remind Tim. Tim, stay tuned after the program. We're going to give a, a, discuss, a, a explanation of First Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. If you're listening, you want to stay tuned for that. And, uh, Dad, a good discussion tonight and, uh, and beneficial. Bible classes are very important, and we all need to make sure that we uh, remind ourselves of their importance and we make sure that we stay excited about now, it. How are we going to do that? We're going to keep our mics open and just well, talk well, a little after, bit. After, the, after the, uh, the program runs its course, we'll turn the mics back on and we'll talk. To okay. So you can stay tuned if you're listening. Anthony, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. All right. Uh, we hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.